The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for the 2015 April's Leaders Retreat. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. That pronouncement is, has been said over all of us. It's been given to us. And so let the next 30 or so minutes here be basking in that. Because there's nothing more to prove if that's true. And it is true. Um, help us to believe that. Help, help us to appropriate it to our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, when, when I was looking at the title, Free to Fail, I thought, I, it just got me wrestling with all these different questions. In what sense are we free to fail this summer? Whether you're on the STP, CCP, TCP, we sound like the military. Um, I thought about that as the director of this Camp Victory was in here, hearing all these different acronyms. He's probably like, "What? <laughs> are these Navy SEALs? Or are they like Christian ministers?" Um, so, as far as in what sense are you to fail? I guess it depends on how you answer that question. I, I don't know if I like the question a, a ton because it feels a little bit more Western and American than it does biblical. Um, so, let's let's try this for a moment. I want to keep it interactive. If you're to think about, and as Matt said in his first talk, you guys need to be free to just engage here, um, free to fail. Uh, what would be something that is, if you think about this in your mind's eye for this summer, what looks like success to you? Um, don't be embarrassed, just say it. Whether you're going CCP, TCP, STP. What, what's, what, what images are conjured up when you think about success? <laughs> no plumbing issues. People becoming Christians. Good. Seeing change. Seeing change happen in growth in people's lives. Good. What else? Developing strong relationships with British students. Good. Friendships. Yes. Anything else? Everything running smoothly without hiccups. Okay, good. Conflict-free. Yeah, we don't want conflict, right? Good. What else? Maybe not just conflict-free, but the people that you're leading really like. Okay, so at the end of the summer, whether I'm, whatever sort of position I'm in, those in my room, those overseas, they just like me. Good. Giving a good talk. Giving a good talk. Man, you guys are, it's like, if I was to fill in the blanks, you'd get every single one. I'm glad we're doing this. Good. Anything else? That's a pretty good list. I, I, think, I think we're okay to, to end there. Um, I want to help us, because as we think about those things, which are all really, really good things, I want to help us maybe have a better or more proper understanding of those potential success points, I want, I want to think about maybe success, maybe more accurately, disappointment 
more more aptly. Um, I heard this, I think, first said with uh, Jason Meyer. I know he didn't coin it, but uh, maybe you guys can finish this phrase. The difference between reality and expectation is disappointment. disappointment. Josh, can you cue up that real quick? Okay, here's here's the video. This is just, in, in many ways, just for fun. Um, don't play it quite yet. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's called 500 Days of Summer. Um, not necessarily recommending the movie. I'm, it's just a video clip, okay? So, Summer is a girl, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is interested in Summer. Um, for 500 days, he's interested in Summer. It's not a love story. He says that from the very beginning, so I'm not giving any, anything away. He has a moment where he's going to re-engage with Summer, and he has a vision of what this is going to look like. So you're going to see two different screens. On the one hand, it's reality. The other is expectation. It's going to speak for itself in there. Go ahead. those things that you just um, listed. And by all means, no. There's nothing wrong with those desires. Those are good desires. However, this is where the American mindset, I think, slips in. It's what's behind those desires. So this is kind of my job, and this is just the way I'm wired. I, I just want to get into the subtext of you. I want to get underneath what's going on. And I fear that because I know my own heart and I've been around students for a few years, that oftentimes what's behind these desires are two things that we forget, two misunderstandings um, that can lead to major disappointment and um, sin in a lot of ways. And, and, And here are those two things that we forget. Number one, we forget what this summer is all about, what the whole Christian life is all about, knowing God and understanding that we're loved, right? The whole Christian life, what this summer is about, no matter what position, no matter what venue, overseas, stateside, 
the whole point is about knowing God. So when we misunderstand that, the second thing that happens or can happen is that the above desires that we just talked about, that we just listed, can get enfolded into our own individualistic pursuit of glory so that those successes or failures are a mark sort of on my own report card and a reflection of what I'm worth. You, you could say it in a lot of different ways. Um, a way that I pursue love. A way that I feel like I get, I earn love. And, and if we don't think about those things, what, what's behind the desires that we were just talking about, we're going to be led down a path that I think would be really, really unhealthy. John 17, 3, just to um, really hammer home that this is the point of, of the Christian life. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer for us, okay, in essence. He prays this 2,000 years ago, and we are the fulfillment of his prayer, John 17. And he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life doesn't begin once you die. It begins once you know Jesus Christ. And it's relational, not widget-producing. That's what it means to know God. It's not gold stars you get. It's knowing Him. There's intimacy with that. This is what he says. Philippians 3.10, we already talked about this. Anyone... What, what, what in the list, as Paul's going through what Matt unpacked, what does he say in Philippians 3.10? He forgets, he, he, he counts all these things as lost, he, he considers what was gained as lost, and all of this is aiming toward, uh, I can't hear it. Knowing that I may know him. There's a movie called Luther, kind of a B movie. Um, <laughs> Ralph Fiennes' brother is in it. I think it's Joseph Fiennes. <laughs> Plays Luther. He actually does a really good job. Uh, I, I think the movie's really profound. There's a quote in there that I, I just, I love this quote because I think it, it gets after the very thing we're talking about. There's a character named Aleander, and he's pursuing growth and, and leadership within the Catholic Church. He's talking to Cardinal Cajetan, C-A-J-E-T-A-N, I don't know what that is. It's a cardinal. The cardinal says this, what is it you seek, Aleander? Aleander responds, to serve God, to serve him with all my heart, cardinal, and that is how you will be tempted. Um... So, in summary, the list of desires that we're walking through can easily become a means of justifying ourselves. So if someone comes to faith, if someone reads their Bible seven for seven throughout the week, um, if I have a stress-free, smooth um, team without conflict, if I see people grow, all these different things can suddenly get twisted inside of us and become a means of feeling as though we've earned God's love or feeling as though we've succeeded. Um, but my question is, what if those desires don't come to fruition? What if a disciple doesn't come to faith? 
What if the guy overseas or the girl overseas doesn't come to faith? They meet with you every single week. You hit it off. And nothing happens. What if a person doesn't really ever grow in their desire to read the Bible? What if a person just doesn't really like you at the end of the summer? When it's all said and done, the air is cleared, and they just kind of, yeah, I, I don't like you. Um, what if you don't really have that much influence over the summer? The, the summer that I was project director and staff, as I, I did the same thing that Paul did, and I, I bet you every single staff member has done, rifle through you know, the list of most influential person in your life for the summer, and I got very few little tags for that. Um, and Mike O was like on virtually every single person's list, and he was a student project director. And I was like, my goodness, how in the world did this happen? <laughs> I was the staff project director. Um, so is that failure? Did you fail? What, did I fail? Or let me ask a more challenging question. What if every single one of those desires comes true? Is that success? Is that what it means to succeed? Are you now a successful Christian? See how odd that sounds? Listen to Isaiah 6, 8-13. This is Isaiah's call. Here I am, send me. God's looking for Isaiah, and, and God's like, okay, look, I have a mission for you. Okay, so picture yourself. You've got a mission. God's coming. He's going to talk to you, and this is what he says. Keep on, I'm going to go tell these people this. This is what your, your mission is. I want to go, want you to go, and this is the message I want you to tell people. Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. <laughs> then Isaiah said, he asked a very pertinent question, how long, O oh Lord? How long do I got to do that? This is the answer. Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Does that sound successful to you? <laughs> Does that sound like an American success story? This is Isaiah's call to go and do. What if God came down and said something of similar effect for your summer? And then he said, when you go overseas, what they're going to do in England is mock you. You're going to go over there, and that's all they're going to do is mock you. You won't see a single convert, but you will be mocked for being an idiot, for believing in something that you cannot see. That's your mission this summer. Go. Or you're going to have a room... And they'll all go apostate. That's your mission this summer. Go. Would you be encouraged? Be of good cheer? Or would you ask, how long do I have to do that? Um, 
So, our typical understanding of success, I don't think, is a biblical understanding. And the danger is that this idea of sex, success and failure as <laughs> a Freudian slip. You can edit that on this. Um, I'm mature enough. I'm going to keep moving along. Um, success and failure become much more attached to your personal achievements than they do to what, what the pursuit of the Christian life is, which is just to know God. And, and the, the, the circumstances that happen outside of that are outside of our control. Completely outside of our control. So I hope our, what, what I'm trying to do, I hope, I'm still wrestling with this to be honest with you, is shift our focus from those external things to more internal reality. Um, an inward reality of us personally knowing Jesus Christ, personally growing in our relationship with Him. And as that happens... I think it has a profound effect on the lives of those around us. Um, so, here, here's this. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't pursue the things I was just talking about. It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for those things that I was talking about. It doesn't mean we shouldn't desire those things that you you all were listing. Um, but I, I think they shouldn't be the, the the standard or the measure markers by which we succeed or fail for the summer. And so here's my encouragement of what we should pursue. There's basically two things, and this is from 1 Corinthians 4. You can turn there. This will be our text. The two things I want us to pursue this summer, and, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. The two things I want us to pursue this summer are being a servant of Christ and a faithful steward of the gospel. Being a servant of Christ and a faithful steward of the gospel. Now, I'm going to get there, but you, you might be asking, well, aren't you just twisting what success and failure are? Isn't this just semantics? I'm going to get there. Um, but uh, let me unpack these first. So, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. Paul says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So, the Corinthian church is arguing about the power of influence between Paul, Apollos, and Peter. There's this argument that's going on, kind of from the first chapter, and it carries through chapter 3. And there's divisions in the church. There's all these things going on saying, well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Um, and, and Paul just kind of like, he, he just levels the playing field and basically says, you're, you're being so human. You're sucking Christianity out of this whole thing. And really what, what's happening is vicarious glory is sought, Right? I don't know, for those of you who attended Bethlehem, I, I bet no one's ever done this before. I, I guarantee no one's ever said, yeah, I go to John Piper's church. I bet no, none of you have never name-dropped or anything like that. Um, or, you know, yeah, my pastor's so-and-so. He's really into Tim Keller. Yeah, I, bet, I bet nobody in this room is ever guilty of anything like that. Um, 
Well, the Corinthians were regarding Paul and apostles and the apostles in a wrong way. And, and Paul's trying to correct this. He's trying to say, stop trying to attack trying to attach yourselves to our names so that you can pursue some sort of vicarious glory. That if you're in Paul's camp or in Peter's camp or Apollos' camp, that therefore you have some sort of leg up on other people. Because, you know, maybe Paul was really powerful when he spoke and Apollos was, you know, something else. Um, And what he says then is what we should be regarded as as servants or attendants Officers is all synonymous with this word uh, servant in this context. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God, that's the gospel. That's shorthand. We're not going to get into all of the reasons why, but just know that when he says stewards of the mysteries of God, that that's the gospel. And they're also to be found faithful. So what does it mean to be a servant of Christ? I mean, very simply put, this is my definition here, is it's believing the gospel and living it out through word and deed. So your call this summer, no matter what context, what I'm encouraging you to pursue is to believe the gospel and live it out through word and deed. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16, Paul says this. You guys are pretty familiar with this. Well, anyone, anyone want to quote this? 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. Anyone got this? Class? Too tired? Okay. I hear mumbles. Any brave souls? Okay. Huh? (laughs) It's okay, it's okay. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. Now, we're all pretty familiar with that, but listen to this. It goes on. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is acknowledging that he is a sinner and as a sinner is an example to those around him of the gospel, the very gospel message. God's mercy and patience toward him show others how great Jesus Christ really is. So that when they look at that guy, they say, that guy is a Christian? Are you, are you kidding me? Are you, are you serious? That guy? So that no one would ever think this guy could be a holy man or a godly man or whatever you would feel. That's the whole point is what he's saying. This is why God chose me because I'm as screwed up as it gets. And that demonstrates his mercy and and, uh, grace toward me as an example to all those around me that they would believe all the more in Jesus Christ. That he has the power to save. Um, His entire life, Paul's entire life, was meant to display the very gospel message. The fact that God loves sinful people. That's good news. Doesn't that take pressure off? That, That takes so much pressure off of us this summer. That's the point. That's what you're out, you're going out and sent to do. I... I didn't ask him if I could do this, um, and I'll, I'll try to 
and say this in the most honoring way, but um, it won't dishonor you, Larry. But uh, I actually use this. Um, I use it. It's, honestly, it's going to potentially dishonor me. Um, I use this as an example when I preached at uh, TBI or BCS, whatever, Piper's preaching class a few years back. Uh, you know, I was encouraging the men there to um, really pursue discipleship. There's a danger in, in seminary circles that everything becomes so heady that they lose touch with people on a horizontal level. It's like there's so much focus of this that this false dichotomy happens where they don't connect with people and everything happens in the ivory tower and then people come down from their ivory tower and they kind of relate. But I, I just don't think the Christian life is meant to be lived that way. So I was encouraging them to get out in, in the dirty, sinful world and be involved with the messy lives of people, discipling them. And so I was trying to give them an example that they're worth imitating. It doesn't matter. They, they don't need to be Paul. They don't need to be some, you know, gold star Christian to be worthy of imitation. They just have to be a Christian. And I, I was arguing this through the text and then I gave an example of my own life and I was talking to Larry one time and, and he, he just had mentioned how he had been encouraged to pursue marriage by seeing Holly's and my relationship. Fair summary? And uh, if I focus too much on that, I'll get emotional. Um, and I don't want to do that because it takes me forever to recover. Um, <laughs> so the, here's the irony. I have had a hard marriage, really hard marriage. Um, so what was amazing to me is that he said that, and it was that very comment was a reminder of the grace in, in my life. Um, bite it harder. <laughs> so my, my point is that and I, and I would tell, I would live honestly with Larry and explain to him that, hey, I messed up. I, we don't love each other perfectly, but I have one who is righteous on my behalf. One who has looked at me and said, I am well pleased, not because of who I am, but because of the substitute on my behalf. That's good news. That's the Christian life. And whatever it was that Larry saw in there, um, encouraged him to pursue Lynn. And uh, that, that, that is, I think, just a taste of what's going on here in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. What I tell guys, I've I, I was, I've been meeting with this guy named Will. You can pray for Will. He doesn't trust in Jesus. Um, this is what broken boldness looks like, I think. Maybe that's, God's going to strike me down because it's an arrogant comment. Because I'm going to use myself as an example. Anyway, um, what, I tell, what, I, what I told Will in one of the times that we were talking is, Will, I can't convince you with any sort of rational arguments that Jesus exists and that 
that somehow by sitting together, even just by reading the, the Bible, that I'm going to argue your way into, Christian, into the Christian life. I, I will hold out that I need to proclaim to you a message that, in essence, you're a sinner deserving of God's wrath, fully deserving, but, God, but Jesus Christ has stepped in and taken your place. And if you just trust in him, you can have faith and, and be united to God and have a relationship with him. And I, wanna, I want to hold that out to you, but I want to do more than that. And what, I've, what I've told Will is, and this is what I've tried to tell other guys, is that look at my life. Get involved. Come over to my house. Be around my family. If Jesus is real and he's alive inside of me, there should be something different. It should look different. And what it should look like is not a perfect life. It's not leave it to beaver. I don't come in the door and say, hey, Holly. And she says, hey, husband. And I say, hey, have you guys ever seen it to me? Okay, so, and like, you know, a, a twinkle in my teeth and in my eye. And uh, I don't, not that that all perfectly encompasses a perfect life, of course. That sort of, sort of talking in a sing-song voice makes us holy. <laughs> um, but my point is that what, what's going to happen is you're going to see me make mistakes. I'm going to yell at my daughter. I'm going to grow impatient at the table with my wife. And, and you know what? I'm going to admit when I'm wrong. And I'm going to confess that I'm imperfect. And I'm going to confess that I don't do this very well. And hopefully what you see in the midst of all that is the gospel put on display. Not a perfect life lived, but a life lived receiving love undeserved. That's the gospel put on display. That's what, Paul, that's what Paul's talking about. This is what it means to be a servant of Christ. So let's get a little bit more nitty-gritty practical pertaining to your lives. Okay, and maybe this is what you've been waiting for. Yes, you will fail this summer in the things that we just mentioned. Um, or I guess mentioned a while back now. You're going you're to give bad counsel at points. You're not going to know what to say. A family member in somebody's room may die this summer and you're going to feel like uh, that. You just feel like that. Um, you're going to shrink back from sharing the gospel at points. That's going to happen. You'll get impatient with each other in your rooms with, with your teammates, um, with those who come at the TCP. You'll begrudge serving others, those of you on the servant team. You'll become easily angered or resentful. These things are going to happen. So, what... What does it mean then to believe the gospel message in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of these failures? You just, the Christian leader admits his mistakes quickly and fully. You just admit, and it's okay. You just live transparently, confessionally. You just admit it when, when, when things go wrong. You admit weakness. And you highlight the strengths of others. That's the antidote to comparison. In all of chapter 3, Paul is trying to 
pry open this idea of comparison that the Corinthians are struggling with. And in 3 verse 4, he says, for, one set, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? When, when you're able to admit weaknesses and highlight the strengths of others, you dispel the whole idea of comparison. And you don't go the route of vicarious glory, trying to attach your name to somebody else or pursuing it yourself. Um, a Christian leader understands and admits you're not the source of change in another person's life. And, and that's so freeing. You understand and admit you're not the source of change in another person's life. In verses 5 through 7, Paul says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. That, that is unreal. It's, it's unreal how often we attach our work in somebody else's life as our credit. I can't, it's, I can't believe that we do that. You know, right now, Cheka, Charlie, Larry are on staff, and I led all those guys. And if I'm honest, I have this thing inside of me that's like, well, you know, <laughs> doing pretty well here. The guys that have led in the past. As though CEO is some sort of place of arrival, which it's not. Um, and, and, but something slips in, in the, in the subtext of me that attaches the work I do in other people's lives as though it's done predominantly by me. That I'm the source of change. That I'm necessary in their lives. And it's just not true. Um... A Christian leader considers him or herself a fool rather than wise. Verses 18 through 20 of chapter 3. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Um, he goes on there. But the main point being there, like, consider yourself foolish. And it, it, it's a comparison issue here. In light of who God is and all that he knows, the, the hairs on our head, the thoughts that happen before they even proceed out of our mouths, all of those things he knows. So by comparison, we're all fools. Fools. Just a bunch of fools. And fools can take themselves less seriously. That's a good thing. So, maybe, let, let me just say this real quick and then, and then we'll conclude um, with the last point. And I'll, I'll be quicker on this last point. I just want to affirm you all for one of the, one of the things, and I, I haven't unpacked it still because I, I, it's still not all clear in my head, um, but I think I've helped take away this idea of what true success and failure look like. Um, but one of the things I would say is, I was talking about this with Reagan, the reason why I was afraid of the whole free-to-fail pursuit is, is 
for me to stand up here and for you to then think, oh, free to fail, oh, that, that's true. And, and suddenly it becomes a tagline or a cliche, as has been used this whole, this whole weekend, um, that I don't really got to do a whole lot. I'm free to fail anyway. Like, which probably what's going on deep underneath that even is still a fear of failure. Um, but maybe if it's two sides of the same coin, on the one side you have free to fail, the other side would be you're free to risk. If all these things that I'm saying are true, and they are, you're also free to risk, right? Because if the gospel is true, even a marriage that has been difficult can be an example of God's love toward imperfect people. So you're free to risk. And I just want to, so the point being, I want to affirm you guys, here you are this summer, willing to risk. And it's worth the risk. Being a leader, being the positions that you are, it's worth the risk to experience more of God's love toward you as you go about bumbling through your leadership positions this summer. It's worth it. You will get more of Jesus Christ if you receive him in the midst of your failures. And it's worth it. And just, I'm encouraged that you all are here, willing, right? You're here willingly to risk it. Um, Let me conclude with this. The faithful steward of the gospel. So that was what it means to be a servant of Christ. Faithful steward of the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 2. Stewards should be found faithful, is what Paul says. And just to encourage you, be faithful to God this summer, not to popular opinion, not even to your own opinion. Faithfulness to God is... Not popular opinion, not your room, not the project, not TCP, not what others think of you over in England. Not even your own opinion. Be faithful to God. Don't judge yourself or care about the judgment of others. There may be people who don't like you when the summer is done. It probably needs a qualifier for you truth speakers out there. Um... That's not meant for you to be like, well, it's in the Bible, so you just need to believe it. And it just justifies everything you say. Um, That's not the point whatsoever. Um, But the point is for you to, as you grow in knowing Jesus Christ, you're helping others grow in doing the same. So, um, concluding verse here, in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. So, Although they have tried to, in one sense, put him on trial, the Corinthians have tried to put Paul on trial and compare him to all these other apostles, he says this in response, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So Paul doesn't give in to winning popularity contests. He doesn't even give in to constant evaluation of himself. He's not aware of anything against himself, but that awareness, he acknowledges, isn't what acquits him. He says, I'm not aware of anything against myself. I can't think of anything that way. But that that right there is not what makes me innocent. Uh, Acquits, the word for that is to make righteous. And then he concludes with, it's the Lord 
who judges me. Why in the world would he be excited about that? You know those guys who walk around with that tattoo? Only God can judge me. That's, that's the voice that I hear when I see that. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, if I think I know what they mean. I think what they mean is like, so I'm going to do whatever I want. Don't, I don't give a rip about what you think about me. That's a sense, in a sense what they mean. It'd be really cool if they meant what Paul means. Because what Paul means is when God judges me, he sees Jesus. So I'm not going to play those games. You're going to have temptations throughout the summer to evaluate yourself and go back and forth on how you're doing. And Paul says, this is not even worth it. Because what I, what I need to take my eyes off of myself, look at what's been declared about me, that I am righteous in, in God's eyes through Jesus Christ, and it, it's in that that I rest. So let that land on you and fuel your ministry this summer. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that that's true of us. I thank you that Jesus Christ has declared us righteous so that as we think about the myriad of things that we've learned over the course of this weekend, that we don't try to keep some sort of list going and, and, and keep track of where we've succeeded and where we've failed, but that we would remember that we are freely loved apart from that, apart from that whole rat race, and that it's your pronouncement of innocent over us because of Jesus Christ, that, that that is where we would find rest. That is where our sigh of relief would come. It wouldn't come at the end of the summer thinking, oh, we just did a good job at making that person become a Christian, at making that person love the Bible and read it. That it wouldn't come in all these personal achievements, but it, it would come from the declaration that we are righteous from you that we are accepted by our Heavenly Father. Let that land on us today and over this weekend, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at campusoutreach.org.